Father, open our hearts to your word today. Let your word have full impact in our lives. Everything you want to say, everything you want to do in us, God. And Lord, help us not just to say, boy, that was a great word, but Lord, show us how you want to change our lives. Lead us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Bible is full of so many amazing stories. Some of the plot lines in the Bible are so astounding. And something I like about the Bible is that it's completely honest. So it tells you when people make mistakes, like when Moses gets angry and strikes the rock twice and doesn't go into the promised land. Imagine that. We're going to talk about Joseph today, and specifically we're going to talk about God's design through brokenness and how he worked in and through the life of Joseph. Some of, the, some of the plots in the Bible are better than fiction, but for me, the story of Joseph is just an amazing story. There are so many plot lines. If you look at it all, if you look at all the different storylines that are going on, there's Jacob's story, there's the brother's story, there's Joseph's story, but on top of everything, there's God's story. And I want to tell you something at the outset of this message today, that you know that God has a storyline over your life? You don't always see it, just like Joseph didn't see it just like his brothers didn't see it. But there's a bigger storyline that God is weaving through our lives that he wants us to see. The plot of Joseph's life is so full of twists and turns, it would make the best mystery writers jealous, wouldn't it? So here's a quick overview. Joseph is born the 11th of 12 sons. How many of you were part of a big family? My dad was part of 19. He tells me that it was crazy. There was only one way that my grandfather could keep order. When one of the boys did something wrong, they all had to report and they all got disciplined at once. So guess who watched out for one another? When one boy, and when they did do something wrong, they said, it better be something that's worth doing. So when they stole the Iceman's truck, all the brothers were in on it together. They said, Grandpa's going to whack us, but this is going to be worth it. And they had a heyday driving his truck all throughout the city. So Joseph is born, the 11th of 12 sons, to Jacob, his two wives, and his two concubines. There's chaos right there. Joseph becomes his father's favorite son, which sets him up for conflict with his brothers. And by the way, for those of you that don't believe in generational patterns, look at the pattern from generation to generation in the Bible with conflict between brothers and favorite sons. Have you noticed that? Interesting there. So... There's this multicolored coat that Jacob gives to Joseph. It's interesting that usually that coat was given to the oldest firstborn son. The fact that Jacob gave it to Joseph was an egregious error. He didn't give it to the firstborn. He gave it to Joseph, the 11th born. So Joseph is favored by his father. But how many of you know that creates problems with the brothers and sisters? At age 17, it turns out that Joseph is a prophet. There are many different forms of prophetic revelation. Joseph is a person who interprets dreams. He gets dreams from the Lord, graphic revelations. He's a seer. He's one who not only is able to uh, receive the dreams, but he gets the interpretation of the dreams as well. But at age 17, he's new and unexperienced with his gift. How many of you know that if the Lord gives you a revelation, you're not necessarily supposed to go out and tell the cashier at Acme? You may not even want to tell people around you until you've prayed about it and weighed it. Mature prophets know that when you get something from the Lord, you have to say, Lord, what's the context here? What do you want me to do with this wisdom, with this picture, this revelation that you're giving me? But Joseph didn't know it. So at the breakfast table, he kind of blurts it out. Hey, someday I had this picture of all you guys bowing down to me. 
given the fact that things were already a little stressed between him and his brothers, do you think this might have caused a little bit more animosity from some of the older brothers toward this younger one, Joseph? And at this point, I think Benjamin hadn't been born or was very small. He's not fully in the picture yet. Apparently, later in the story, we see that Joseph is not out working in the field with his older brothers. Maybe that's because his dad knew that he'd get in trouble with his brothers if he did. But Joseph goes out to see his brothers. He goes out with a message to them. And it's interesting that uh, when he gets there, um, they see him coming and already there's plotting that's going on. The brothers see an opportunity to get rid of Joseph once and for all. The wickedness of the sons of Jacob is amazing. Aren't you, I hope, I'm sorry, aren't you glad? Maybe some of you did. Uh, I hope you didn't have brothers like this. They're scheming, they're deceptive, they're violent, they're vengeful, and seemingly without remorse. Most of the brothers want to kill Joseph right away. Reuben negotiates and sells him into slavery instead. Imagine the one good brother says, we're not going to kill him. We'll just sell him into slavery. We'll make a little cash on the side. I think they got 20 pieces of silver. So the brothers make a little cash on the side. Joseph ends up in the house of Potiphar, who's an important official in in Pharaoh's government in Egypt. And Joseph's taken by caravan into Egypt. And there they see his talents. They see his abilities. And quickly he rises up on the estate of Potiphar to be a uh, a leader. Genesis 39.1 says this, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an, Egypt, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. There's one problem in this paradise. Potiphar's wife had eyes for Joseph. When Joseph resists her attempts to seduce him, she scorns him and she turns on him. And there's a trial, a rigged trial. So imagine Joseph already at this young age is experiencing injustice at a level that most of us uh, will never experience. You might ask, if God was with Joseph so much, if God was blessing everything in Potiphar's house, why didn't God protect him from Potiphar's wife? Why didn't God protect him at the trial? Why are all these bad things happening? Well, we can't assume that God will not allow us to go through times of testing. And let me say that again. We often don't, in modern Christianity, have a theology that includes adversity and suffering. God never says that he will make our life perfect without any adversity, without any suffering, without any challenges. All right. God never said... (laughs) No, think about it this way. Stephen, in the book of Acts, how far do we go in the, in the beginning of the early church when this godly man who is full of the Holy Spirit, full of favor, is martyred? And you say, what did Stephen do wrong? He didn't do anything wrong. He did everything right. 
We don't understand why God's plan was to take a moment that moment. But before he dies, he has this vision of Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father to receive him into heaven. And he lays his life down there. Sometimes things don't go the way we expect them to go at all. And often when God gives us a vision for our life, we need to understand. He shows us things that are far off. He shows us the finished product. Joseph, at age 17, has this vision of himself being a leader and even his parents bowing down before him. Apparently, there's something that's going to happen that's going to make Joseph this amazing leader, a very successful man. But what he doesn't see is between this point and that point, between age 17 and probably age 33, that there's a lot of adversity and a lot of things that are going to happen. It's like looking from one mountain peak to another and saying, well, I'm on my way to get to that mountain, and you head down into the valley. You get that? God takes us through some things to get there, and there's a reason for that. As a matter of fact, God often allows his people to experience injustice just as Jesus did. The early Christians had a very clear understanding of that. They knew that when they said to to the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, I want to follow you, it meant that they would go through some really amazing trials. We wear these wonderful little crosses around our neck, or we have jewelry that has the cross in it. I think that somebody that was an early Christian in the time of Jesus would be amazed today that we would put the cross, a symbol of horror, a symbol of punishment, as jewelry around our neck. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to do that, but if we don't remember what that cross stands for, if we don't remember that Jesus suffered for us, and he says to us, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciples. So what does it mean to take up the cross? It means that we are on a walk with the Lord Jesus. We will share in his inheritance of eternal life. We will share in abundant life. But at the same time, there are going to be those days when you go, this world is not really a very nice place. Jesus says, take heart, though, because I've overcome the world. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart because I have overcome the world. The, the reason why I'm sharing this with you is sometimes many young Christians will all of a sudden assume that God has abandoned them. Now, I don't know what Joseph went through when he was in prison. Do you think maybe he said, Lord, have I missed it? Those dreams were just a bunch of hooey. If you don't know what hooey is, by the way, somebody explained to me that's camel dung. It's a polite word. Maybe Joseph doubted and said, maybe I'd never heard the Lord. Maybe there isn't a God. How could a loving God allow this to happen? We don't know what happened in the interim. Someday, I'd love to find out what was really going on in Joseph all that time. But we know how he comes out the other end. I was talking to uh, somebody at the gym while I was working out yesterday. It was another pastor, a guy that I really like. We talk sometimes. And he says, what are you preaching on this week? And then he tells me what he's preaching on. And uh, as we're pumping iron. <laughs> anyway, we need to understand that God has a plan in the sufferings and the things that we go through. We don't always understand in the place that we're in what's happening around us. And I'll tell you, the enemy of our souls can mess with our head and with our mind, and so can some of the people around us and saying, so where's your God now? Remember, even Job's wife was saying, the poignancy of that story with Job and his wife, and by the way, I've got a much better wife than Job's wife, I have to say. 
She says, Job, why don't you curse God and die? Just give it up. There are people around you that will say that. You'll say, Lord, what's the end of this whole thing? Why are you letting me go through this? Another thing that we do is that we tend to think we've done something wrong. Oh, we did something wrong. Listen, if if God's grace was dependent on you doing everything right, you might as well cash it in already. He corrects us as we go, and he lovingly corrects us. Thanks be to God that he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Isn't that true? Because if he did, we'd be dead. It's true. Peter says this in the New Testament, if we bear up under injustice, we are truly blessed of God. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 19, he says, For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called. I didn't hear a lot of amens. I'm waiting. We were called to share in the sufferings of Christ. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Let's get back to Joseph in verse 20 of, verse thir- of chapter 39. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. I'd still be saying, I'd rather not be here. But God blessed him even there. You know the rest of the story. Joseph is remembered by one of Pharaoh's officials who gets out of jail as someone who can interpret dreams. And Pharaoh has a dream. And the cupbearer is found innocent and says, hey, why don't you have Joseph come? He's somebody that can understand. In the process, Joseph tells him, his dream and explains it to him. And the Pharaoh says, hey, you have the understanding of God in you. Why don't you lead us and tell us what to do, where to go? And all of a sudden, Joseph is the second leader in all of Egypt. Like that. Later, Joseph reunites with his brothers as they come to Egypt. It was the only place in the Middle East that had stored grain during the famine. And arguably, if Joseph does not execute the plan that God gives him, not only would the people of Egypt have starved, but his own family would have died. See, there's a higher storyline here, isn't there? Okay. So there's a season where we don't know whether Joseph is still angry with his brothers and he's going to exact revenge or not. We really don't know what's going on in Joseph's heart, do we? I want you to think about this. Joseph seems to toy with his brothers a little bit. He tests them. Is this the act of a righteous man or a prophet of God? And I want you to to think about this. Joseph could have sent for his father and brothers immediately when he became the second ruler in Egypt, but he didn't. Why not? See, Joseph didn't know a lot of the story. We know the story. He didn't know whether his father even knew he was alive. He didn't know what his brothers had told his father. 
Jacob could have sent rescuers to find Joseph. Joseph may have been wondering, why didn't my father ever send anybody to look for me? It was in the successive meetings with his brothers that he was able to find out what really happened and what was really going on. And I think there was a moment where Joseph was weighing in his heart, how do I deal with these guys? He had all the power to destroy them if he wanted to. Or perhaps Joseph was waiting for the dreams of his youth to be fulfilled. It was only after they bowed before him that he responded by revealing himself. And he says, now, Lord, I see what your plan is. I'm beginning to see what's happening here. He tested their hearts to see if they would betray Benjamin, the younger brother. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that could be going on. So someday when you get to heaven during the coffee hour, you can talk to Joseph and find out. It's very interesting. It's at the point of the story where Judah offers to lay his life down for Benjamin that Joseph responds with the truth. And he says, you know what? God's been working in me. God must be working in them too. That's, the, that's my theory. That's the only thing. Finally, Joseph can hold, hold in his secret no longer. Genesis 45.1 says, Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and all of Pharaoh's household heard about it. Down below it says in verse 4, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he says, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were one of the brothers, how would you be feeling at that particular moment? This is an amazing story. A little bit uncomfortable, huh? Joseph says this, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. We don't know when Joseph came to that knowledge. Maybe it was about this time at this moment. Joseph goes on, he says, For two years now there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. In the trials of your life, in the people that do injustices to you, can you come to the point where you could say, hey, you guys really meant it for evil, but I want you to know God has a higher plan that will not be defeated. We've been talking a lot about emotions for the last several weeks, and this is the last message that I'm going to do on that. But the whole thing is God not only restores our heart, but he uses the adversity in our lives to shape us and mold us and grow us and help us to be overcomers. I don't think Joseph could have ever been the man that God wanted him to be unless he went through the adversity, the trials, the betrayal, the injustices that he went through. Joseph's statement, it was not you who sent me here, but God. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. One of the most powerful moments in Scripture is when Joseph says that. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Can I tell you something? There are people out there that are evil. I know that there are people in our world today that think that there aren't evil people. I've heard them say it. I've had people say that to my face. People make wrong choices, but there's no such thing as an evil people. Folks, there are evil people out there. There is an evil kingdom of demonic beings that are out to destroy us. And I know people, a lot of people don't believe in that. Believe me, I can tell you lots of stories, and some of you could tell us stories about that. There is evil that is palpable, that is real, that is out there. 
But no matter what Satan does, no matter what the demonic kingdom does, they will never be able to thwart the plan of God. Even what Satan does will be used by God for his higher purpose and will because God's story cannot be thwarted. That's right. How many of you have played checkers with your three-year-old or four-year-old? You know what's going on in the game. They don't know it yet. You may toy with them for a little bit, but sooner or later, unless you let them win, you're going to win. That's how it is with Satan and God, even more so. Because God is not bound by time and space. Satan is. Pretty soon, the gig is up. It's over. It says his time is short, but God has all of eternity. The Lord knows the future, the past, and the present. They are all the same to him. If you want to know how prophecy works, that's how it works. You say, I don't understand that. I don't understand predestination. I don't understand. Well, I don't either. I accept it. I know that I'm living in a finite world and trying to explain an infinite God is a pretty difficult thing. I don't think we even have the terms to do it. But I've got to tell you that God is going to win no matter what. So the question is, are you going to grasp that principle in your own life? I want to share three things with you today. We need to grasp this principle just quickly. Three quick principles that we need to grasp if that truth is going to be real to us. Number one is God's strength is perfected in weakness. And by the way, we'll put these notes up on the uh, internet next to the sound file. It'll be there if you want to download it. God's strength is perfected in our weakness. God uses our brokenness to humble us and build us and do the things in us that he wants to do. Joseph's suffering shaped him. And by the way, suffering doesn't necessarily make you a better person. Suffering can make you bitter, angry, frustrated, warped, and all these other things. If you become bitter and you don't cooperate with God. Somewhere along the way, Joseph made a decision and said, I'm not going to allow all of these injustices and things that happen and my wicked brothers and everything else to ruin my life because I believe in a God who has the power to work all things together for good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. That would make a good scripture. It's Romans 8, right? I'm getting to that in a moment. But Joseph at some point had a breakthrough where he purposely forgave. If you don't forgive, you can't become who God wants you to be. The Lord has a purpose that he's working in us. And at some point, Joseph was able to forgive. How do I know that? Joseph says this in Genesis 41, 51. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's household. The Lord healed his heart. He wasn't obsessed with the injustice that had been done against him. At some point, Joseph was able to let go and, and, and embrace God instead. The second son, he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. God wants to make some of you fruitful in the land of your suffering. And it's contingent upon whether or not you will forgive and release and find God's higher story in your life. You're saying, you don't know the mess that I've made in my life. Well, being in jail with a rigged trial, losing everything, being sold as a slave, that's pretty bad. Okay? Some of us have had bad things happen. The world, it can be a really tough place. But God has a higher story. If you find it, if you seek him, if you keep your eyes on him, he will help you break through to the story that he's written for your life. I don't believe that the people around us can write our story. 
I think we can prevent God from doing all he wants to do. We need to cooperate with him. But it's God who writes our story. I have people that come back from the doctor and they say, well, the doctor said I've got this amount of time to live. I remember years ago we had somebody in our church tell us that the doctor had given them three months to live. I think that was about 12 years ago. They're still doing fine. Because who writes the story? It's God. I thank God for doctors. I thank God for medical personnel. I thank God for attorneys, even though some of them scare the socks out of you. Okay? By law, I guess they have to do that. Just a, I just had a memory moment. Steve Stewart and Jennifer, you might remember this. Do you remember the attorney, the top-level Harvard attorney that we had in to speak to our campus pastors group? And he got up and he said, you're all going to jail. That's how he started his talk. He said, you've done your taxes wrong. You filed them wrong. You should have filed W-2 instead of 1099. You're all going to jail. It was at that moment that I realized that attorneys don't necessarily always have God's heart. None of us went to jail. We just changed the way we were doing our taxes, by the way. It's evident that Joseph finds a measure of healing. In the same way, God gave new significance to the scars of Christ. Did you ever wonder why Jesus' scars were not taken away? When God raised him from the dead, he could have given him a brand new body without the scars. But instead, those scars now become something different. They have all the power of speaking to victory, and every one of those scars represents healing in the lives of his children. God wants to take the scars of our lives, the financial setbacks, the rejections, divorce, mistakes that we've made, things like that. He wants to take the scars. He wants to heal and he wants to restore us and he wants to do something great and mighty in us and through us so that the people around us can say, man, they survived that, but look what God is doing in them. Look what God has done for them. As a church, we need to have a clear theology of suffering like the early followers of Jesus did. In American Christianity, the legacy of the last 50 years has been consumerism, and it's time to throw that off and say, forget that. We don't want an easy believism. We want disciples that know how to walk in the fullness of Christ. When somebody comes to me and says, you know, well, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a church that's 51 minutes long, and, you know, we just can't give too much time. That's a market driven church, folks. Number two, if we submit to him, he will work everything together for his good and our good. But the key is we need to submit to him. Joseph could have stayed in bitterness, but he didn't. He forgave. He could have gotten revenge, but he chose not to. He left vengeance to God. Notice that Joseph walks in the opposite spirit from the family patterns he was raised in. He literally breaks the generational strongholds that had gone on for three generations that we know of in his family. Instead of revenge, he says, hey, listen, guys, I'm still, you know, after Jacob dies, the brothers make up a lie and they say, oh, by the way, before dad died, he said not to kill us. And Joseph says, you guys are still walking in this fear. Forget about it. He says, I'm not going to hurt you. Joseph chose not to be identified with his past. He didn't define his life by pain, betrayal, shame, or abuse. He defined his life by the work that God did in him. There are too many people in the world today that are looking for a way to identify uh, as a victim. 
You can't go anywhere if you identify as a victim. If you are in self-pity, I've got to tell you right now that you are in a loop that you'll never get out of and God can't help you. Is it true? And God can't bless you because it's not a linear path. It's a path that takes you right back again where you were. It's a circle. It's a swirl. Joseph identified God's higher purpose. I would tell some of you that are saying, I don't know what's going on with my life. Ask the Lord. Seek Him. In James chapter 1, he says, if you lack, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God and God will show him. And by the way, the context of that verse is all about suffering. Go back and read James 1. He's saying if you're in a place of suffering and you don't know why, ask the Lord for wisdom and He'll give you the understanding of how He can use your situation to turn things around. But for most of us, what he's doing is he's building a character that is greater than anything we can imagine to prepare us for the next season. Some of us go through life and we think, man, we've accomplished this or that. Moses doesn't even start his life's work until he's 80. Think about that. Jesus got accomplished in three years everything that the Father wanted him to do and totally turned the world upside down in three years. He waited until it was the time, and he did what God wanted him to do. I say that because I, as I was praying, I felt this morning that there are some people you're, you're saying it's too late for me. It's not too late for you. That's a lie from the devil. I don't care what age you are. I don't care what you've done. God can turn things around and change your destiny. Romans 8.28, I quoted it earlier, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. If you read the context of that verse, Romans 8.28-39, they reveal God's plan to reveal Himself in us through all of life's circumstances. I'm going to read that in a moment. But the third thing is this, Joseph had a long-view prophetic perspective, and all of us need to have a long-view prophetic perspective. We are very impatient postmodern people. How many of you remember the cartoons, the Warner Brothers cartoons? I love it, where Bugs Bunny puts this thing in his mailbox, and all of a sudden the mailman comes, and within eight seconds the mailman returns, and there's the Acme kit that he sent away for <laughs> Now, those cartoons were done in the 40s and 50s. They didn't know that Amazon would actually get close to that <laughs> by the year 2018. You know, yesterday, I'm or- it's Saturday, and I'm ordering the book, and they said, we'll have it to you by Sunday afternoon or Monday morning. I said, what? I'm a special person. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, we used to send away for the, you know, the, send you in your box tops and stuff. How many of you remember that? And it says, wait, six to eight weeks. Who has the patience to wait six to eight weeks? You get your thing, and eight weeks later, you go, what's this? You even forgot that you sent it. Because we live in this instant world. Well, God doesn't have an instant faith for us. He works things out over time. But He doesn't forget. And we need to have a long-view, prophetic perspective and understand that God is working something in us and that it's not going to be instant. He works a process in us, and it, and it works in, at the speed of relationship. Not Acme, instant whatever kit. Joseph denied his need for immediate gratification to accomplish a long-term strategy. By the way, this is the key to financial prosperity too. For those of you that want to get rich quick, God warns us again and again in scripture. Now, sometimes things like that happen. God, God blesses or we make a right 
whatever, but most of the time, it's a process. This is also a key to spiritual maturity. Joseph ends well in faith. At the end of Joseph's days, he says this, take my bones with you when God takes you back to Canaan in 300 years. In Hebrews 11.22, it says, By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. He told his brothers, we're just a small part of the story. You see, there's an even bigger narrative above the whole thing, and that's about the people of Israel going back to Canaan and taking the land. Joshua 24.32, Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, and this became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. It's over not far from Bethlehem where that cave is, and it's still there. That was the first anchor of Israel on the land going back to about 1800 B.C. So here's the story I have for you today. Is there a higher storyline to your life that you're not seeing right now? Do you have enough faith to say, God, I know because I am following after you, because you love me and I'm called according to your purpose that you're going to work everything together for good, even if in the short term I may have to deal with some things in my life? By the way, a lot of what we deal with are things that we've sown ourselves. But even then, God can get you back off the detour and get you on the path. If we believe that we were in God's heart from the beginning of time, can we believe even through suffering, hardship, and injustice that God has a plan for us? Can we say the same thing with Joseph? What was meant for evil, God has turned to good. I want you to listen again. I'm going to read this and then we're going to pray. This is Romans 8, but I'm going to read the context now, starting in verse 28. Just let this sink into your soul. Maybe you want to close your eyes and listen to these words again. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. And those he justified, he also gloried, glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And I want to say something to some of you. I feel like the Lord is saying, make this so clear. If God gave his son for you, don't think that he's withholding things from you. God wants to give you the very best. If God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What do you say to that? 
Isn't that amazing? Those are the words of God to us. Can we stand together? There are a lot of people in this room that have a Joseph calling. There are some people here that have a Ruth calling. You've left, you've left one place to go to another place, another country. There's some people here that have an Esther calling, some that have a Rahab calling. I want you to think about the, even the four women, the broken women in the lineage of Christ. Can God take a broken prostitute and make her part of the lineage of Christ? I want to ask a question here this morning. How many of you would say, I need this word of encouragement. I just need God to put this in my soul and spirit. Would you raise your hand? There are people all around you. Look around. Keep your hands up. Can we just gather around the people that have their hands up? This is a prayer of an encouragement. We're going to pray. This is how the Lord told me to end this morning. Just gently lay a hand on the people around you that have those hands up. Heavenly Father, your word is so amazing. God, I read Romans 8 and I think, what a promise to us. And Lord, there's nothing like this in any other religious faith. There's nothing because you alone are the living God. This truth is so amazing. This only works because you are the sovereign, eternal, immortal, all-powerful, all-knowing God. You are the only one that could make this promise. Lord, there are people here today. Some people have made a mess of their lives. Some people are just in a discouraging place. Some people are looking at those that have sold them into slavery or those that have committed injustice against them. Lord, help each one of us to let go of the past today. Can I ask you to do something, those that raise your hands? I want you to think of the message last week. Remember the broken pieces I talked about of that plate? Somebody asked me, how did they get all the pieces? Well, the pieces were still wrapped in the bag, but they were in shards. They were all there, and God uh, gave... Barbara, the patience to put them all together. Can we just hold our hands out as though we had the pieces of our life there in front of the Lord? It could be something you've carried guilt for. It could be something that you've wrestled with. It could be something you've had a hard time forgiving. Just put your hands out like you were holding the broken pieces. God, would you just come right now in the name of Jesus and take the broken pieces of our life? Would you heal our hearts, God? Lord, each one has to pray to you. Each one has to make it right with you. But Lord, we release right now those people who have sinned against us. And we say along with Joseph, what they meant for evil, you will work for good in our lives. Father, we just present ourselves to you. We give our lives and our hearts to you. Lord, would you weave your higher story in our lives, God, and make us overcomers. Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. Can we just begin to praise the Lord together and thank him? Father, we just give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. We just want to thank you so much for your goodness to us. Lord, let these words burn in our hearts, God. These words of Roman 8, the story of Joseph, Lord. I pray that there would be encouragement flowing right now to hearts, We just take authority right now over every lie of the devil, every accusation. 
over every word of discouragement, the words that say you'll never amount to anything, you'll never get over this, you can't do this, that's for other people, it's not for you. Those are all lies of the devil. And Lord, we say to you, just come. Take the broken pieces. Make us whole, Lord, and make us better than we could ever be on our own. Let your will and purpose and design be worked out in us, we pray. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.